0: A note for our listeners, this episode contains descriptions of child sexual abuse and assault. Please listen with caution and care. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is 5th Emission, It could have been prevented if only someone had listened and believed me. That's what many Bay Area survivors of childhood sexual assault are saying of the alleged abuse or rape they experienced at the hands of a teacher or other school district employee. They're part of an unprecedented wave of lawsuits that has hit local schools. The suits were filed by former Bay Area students who were in school as early as 1962. Some of the victims were in high school. One was just four years old. Many of them stayed silent about their alleged abuse for decades, but a landmark California law that took effect in 2020 extended the time frame for people who would otherwise be too old to file their claims. Today on 5th the Mission, the child sexual abuse reckoning facing Bay Area schools in 5 counties: San Francisco, Contra Costa, Alameda, Santa Clara, And San Mateo. In San Francisco, schools identified in the lawsuits include George Washington High and Balboa High. In the East Bay, Peralta Elementary, Oakland School for the Arts, Willard Middle School, and many others. Chronicle reporter Sophia Bolag spent months digging into lawsuits filed in the last six months of 2022. The allegations span decades, but many of the cases share disturbing similarities, grooming and abuse by educators and school administrators that turned a blind eye to warnings raised by students. Sophia will share what her investigation reveals and how these lawsuits could trigger hundreds of millions of dollars in settlement payouts. For survivors, the suits offer a last chance for some measure of justice. For districts, they could mean a financial crisis. Here's my conversation with Chronicle Politics reporter, Sophia Bolag. Sophia, this has been quite an investigation for you to take on, but let's start at the beginning. This landmark new state law that passed in 2019 did two things. It allowed child abuse survivors to file claims until the age of 40, and it widened this window for people to file lawsuits against institutions they say didn't protect them from abuse. Tell me, what was the goal of the state legislators behind this law?
1: When lawmakers passed this law back in 2019, the goal was really to recognize that the previous law that had been in place didn't give survivors of child sexual abuse enough time to like come to terms with the abuse that they had experienced and to come forward and have an opportunity to seek justice. Advocacy groups that work with survivors of child sexual assault really argue that many people don't feel like they can come forward until they're in mid- their middle age. So mm-hmm. essentially the previous law forced most people to come forward in their early 20s. And this law really attempted to rectify that and make it so that people have more time.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, lawsuits against other institutions like the Catholic Church and the Boy Scouts have been prompted by this law that you just described, and the focus of your report was on Bay Area schools. How much has been unknown until now? What have been the gaps?
1: We've known for a long time that these lawsuits were being filed, you know, ever since the law took effect at the start of 2020, and other news outlets have reported on individual cases. But until now, I'm not aware of anyone doing a review like the one that we have done, which really attempted to find, if not all, as many lawsuits as we possibly could that were filed against public school districts specifically. And that was difficult for a lot of reasons, but one of the main ones is just that they aren't centrally tracked anywhere. And when these lawsuits are initially filed, many of them don't name the school districts. And so it made it a a challenge to sort of get our arms around all of the cases and figure out roughly how many there were. Mm. We looked at a fairly narrow time period. We looked at the last six months of last year, which is when there was a race to file a lot of these lawsuits. And we looked in five particular counties, ones that have relatively accessible court records available online. And we attempted to find all of the lawsuits we could that were filed against public school districts in those counties during that time.
0: And these lawsuits are primarily against schools, educational institutions, rather than against individuals. Why is that? And what are the plaintiffs alleging?
1: That's pretty common for these types of lawsuits. And basically, even though some lawsuits do name alleged perpetrators as defendants, Many of them don't, and that's because in many cases, especially where claims are very old, sometimes perpetrators, alleged perpetrators, have died. Other times, they have been also criminally charged with some of the crimes that are alleged in these lawsuits, and so they're in jail. And in a lot of cases, they just aren't wealthy people, and so there's not necessarily an incentive for these alleged victims to sue. So that's why you tend to see these lawsuits going after institutions like public school districts, like the Catholic Church, like the Boy Scouts, and not as much against individual people.
0: Obviously, the scope of this investigation must have been very large, Sophia. And I understand this reporting took more than eight months. Tell me more about what you found here in the Bay Area. How did you narrow down that scope?
1: We ended up finding in these five large Bay Area counties, we ended up finding 52 lawsuits filed against public school districts. Part of the reason it took eight months is because I also cover state government, but it was nevertheless a very time-consuming process. It involved really combing through a lot of court records, but we felt like it was valuable information that our readers should know about because this is something that affects the schools in their area. Potentially, there's potentially going to have to be big payouts associated with some of these lawsuits. And I think it's important to tell people about these lawsuits that allege not only that children were harmed, but that administrators didn't take appropriate steps to protect them. And so in total, we found 48 perpetrators, alleged perpetrators, that we were able to identify. And in total, there. are accused of abusing at least 66 students, the alleged victims range in age from as young as four to as old as 17. So these lawsuits allege abuse at all different levels of schooling, all different types of teachers and in some cases administrators. In essentially all of them, there were allegations that administrators missed red flags like Teachers, you know, spending lots of time alone with students, sometimes in locked classrooms or classrooms where the windows were covered. Lots of instances of teachers who are alleged to have driven students around off campus, a lot of behavior that. These former students who are suing, say, should have been noticed by administrators or other teachers and reported to police. And in many cases, in roughly half, there are actually explicit complaints that are alleged to have been made to administrators or other teachers that were, according to these lawsuits, just brushed aside.
0: Mm. Now, one of the former students is a Bay Area resident who's identified as Jane Doe too in the court documents, and you were able to speak with her. What did she share with you about why she has decided to come forward?
1: Jane Doe too was a student at Miramani High in Arinda. And she says she was sexually groomed and assaulted by her English teacher her English teacher was actually convicted of raping a different student, but this lawsuit is really the first time that Jane Doe too is coming forward with her allegations against him. And she told me that she felt like this was really her opportunity to get justice. And she said that she's carried a lot of guilt from the time when she was in high school, she was interviewed by police after there were criminal charges filed against this teacher. And she regrets not telling them more at the time. Filing this lawsuit, she told me, really was sort of a a way for her to seek justice for this thing that has been weighing on her for a very long time.
0: Mm -hmm. And many of them are just saying that the institution's just didn't do a good job of protecting them, that they didn't respond to their claims appropriately at that time. Was that a common theme that you saw throughout all the cases you looked at?
1: Yeah, that's, I would say, common to all of the cases. Not every former student who is suing alleges that they came forward with explicit allegations to their school at the time. But all of them say that there were signs that an adult on campus should have noticed. They often give really specific details about, like, another teacher who shared a classroom with the alleged perpetrator and saw inappropriate touching but didn't report it, students being signed out of class by a teacher without any sort of legitimate justification and that not being raised as a red flag. That's actually something that teachers and people who work at schools with children are required by California law to report. Mm-hmm. California has what's what are known as mandated reporter laws, which say that if you work with children, you are required to report suspected child abuse to either the police or to child protective services. And essentially every lawsuit that we reviewed alleges that that did not happen and that therefore administrators or other teachers at these schools broke the law in that respect.
0: How have schools and school districts responded to this wave of child abuse lawsuits and what kind of potential financial damages do they face? Chronicle reporter Sophia Bolag shares after a quick break. Sophia Bolag. court documents protect the identities of the alleged victims in this wave of lawsuits filed against Bay Area schools, but some people have come forward, and you were able to speak with one of them. Her name is Catherine Roberts, and she says her sixth-grade teacher raped her on a school trip to Disneyland 21 years ago. Roberts says that teacher, Stephen Briggs Jr., groomed her. Tell me about the common grooming behavior you found in these cases.
1: In many of the lawsuits that allege grooming and go into detail about what the grooming looked like, there were a lot of similarities. Teachers giving gifts to students, teachers isolating students outside of class, having them stay during lunch periods. One sexual assault expert that I spoke to who studies sexual abuse in children said that grooming, it can start. Sometimes, as a teacher, just sort of expressing concern for a student or expressing a particular interest in them, which can be a good thing for teachers to do, you know. Um, but she said, where it crosses the line is when it starts to look more like dating behavior, mm. like late night phone calls, lots of emailing with sort of flirtatious undertones. Those are some of the examples of some of the the grooming that's alleged in these cases. For Catherine specifically. She says that the teacher who she alleges ultimately ended up raping her, that he started taking a particular interest in her when she was going through a really rough time in her life. Her parents were going through a divorce, and she was in sixth grade, and that was really traumatic for her. And she felt like she could talk to her teacher about these serious things that she couldn't talk with her friends about and he would encourage her and other students to stay in his classroom during lunch periods the story that she tells about the way that her teacher groomed her and isolated her from the other students and used this trauma that she was experiencing in her home life to get close to her that is very common a lot of these lawsuits allege very similar behavior
0: mm. Well, going back to the point that schools just didn't respond or handle these cases in the right way, what were some key patterns that you discovered in these schools' responses?
1: In many cases, the schools are alleged to have just dismissed these complaints. In Catherine Roberts' case specifically, she says that she actually, before she said she was raped, um, she says her teacher was paying a lot more attention to her, like brushing against her in class, looking down her shirt. And even though she really liked this teacher and considered him to be her like best friend, these behaviors were starting to make her feel uncomfortable. And she says she went to her principal. Mm. And she says in her lawsuit that her principal essentially told her that she was misunderstanding her teacher's behaviors, that Her teacher Briggs was just, you know, a nice guy who cared about her. And that really helped convince her, you know, not to keep coming forward as her teacher's inappropriate behavior toward her increased. She didn't tell anyone after she was raped until she decided to file this lawsuit last year. And I should say um, that. We reached out to every single school district who is being sued in these cases, and none of them uh, wanted to comment. They Mm. either didn't respond to my requests or they explicitly declined to comment.
0: Yeah. Tell me more about that. What have the schools and districts named in the lawsuits said? What are their arguments?
1: Pretty much all of the school districts that have been served with these lawsuits by now, they are generally fighting these claims trying to have these lawsuits thrown out, saying that they aren't liable for any abuse that these former students may have experienced, and arguing in many cases that the state law that allows them to file these cases is unconstitutional. In Katherine Roberts' case, she has some specific allegations against her principal who she says she went to and he brushed off her concerns. I reached out to the principal, I reached him by phone, but he declined to comment. Um, he said he just couldn't respond even though he was aware of the lawsuit. So we really haven't been able to get really any detail from the schools and the former administrators and the alleged perpetrators about their sides of the story or, or their responses to the allegations in most cases. But pretty much everyone who has been served with a lawsuit um, does seem to be fighting them in court.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, you spoke to some experts about why that happens often, that at the moment that these concerns are being raised, institutions have ignored, dismissed or failed to act on them. What did those experts say about that?
1: Yeah, the experts I talked to who study child sexual abuse told me that it's not uncommon for schools to brush these kind of complaints under the rug when they receive them for a number of reasons. One is sort of a more institutional one. It can be really damaging to a school's reputation. And then on a personal level, I think it can be really hard to believe that somebody who has always been very nice and friendly to you, who is your coworker that you see every day, has done something really awful to a a child. And I think that there's a human impulse to not want to believe that. That's something that the experts I talked to pointed out as well. So
0: Sophia, on this show, I've covered quite a bit about how Bay Area school districts are really struggling right now financially. They're dealing with low enrollments. That means their budgets are shrinking. There's been teacher layoffs, so many different issues. So these cases are a really big deal for them. What could be the financial impacts of these waves of lawsuits?
1: They could potentially be really significant. So all the the lawsuits that we are looking at are still in process. As far as I'm aware, none of them have reached a point where there's a settlement or a judgment. But in past cases, you know, with similar lawsuits that were filed earlier in prior years, sometimes the judgments or the settlements can be quite expensive for schools. They can, in some cases, be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. School districts generally do have insurance that they use to pay out claims like that. So school districts' liability insurance costs are going up pretty significantly. I talked to someone who's the CEO of the School Access Liability Fund, which is one of these shared risk pools that schools used to to pay out claims like this. And he said that the costs of insurance are going up 300% to 600% for a lot of schools in the last five years, and that the lawsuits that we're seeing as a result of this law are a big part of that increase. As an example of some of the costs that districts could be facing, um, last year a jury determined that Union School District in Santa Clara County owed two former students $102.5 million because the jury found that school officials had failed to prevent a teacher at a middle school in the district from grooming and abusing these two students. So the payouts can be quite significant.
0: Mm-hmm. And Sophia, I know you were on Fifth Admission recently and spoke to co-host Laura Wenis about how the San Francisco archdiocese had to file for bankruptcy because of child abuse lawsuits. Is that an outcome that districts might have to face bankruptcy?
1: So as I understand it, bankruptcy law treats public institutions like school districts differently than private institutions like the archdiocese of San Francisco, And I think it's too soon to say like what all of the financial fallout will be for these districts. But I I do think it's fair to say that it's already pretty significant and Mm -hmm. it's something that school districts are
0: concerned about. So to add on top of those concerns, some potentially even worse news for these institutions, there's an effort by some California lawmakers to expand the ability of adults to sue over assault that they experience as children. Tell me more about that effort.
1: Yeah, so there's a a bill currently pending in the legislature. We'll find out what happens with it this week because the last day of the legislative session is Thursday. But essentially, this bill would, at the start of next year, eliminate the deadline that people face to file claims of child sexual abuse. Currently, most people have until their age. Forty under the the current law that we've been talking about. And this would, moving forward, would um, change that so essentially there isn't a deadline that people face, though it wouldn't apply to people who are, are currently being abused or have been abused in the past. The bill, like the last one, faces opposition from school districts and organizations that support school districts like Excess liability funds because they say that the payouts could be really quite high. This bill that's currently pending in the legislature is authored by Senator Nancy Skinner from Berkeley and Assemblymember Don Addis from Morro Bay. They told me essentially that you really can't put a deadline on when you're going to come to terms with abuse that you suffered as a child.
0: Hmm. Now, Sophia. Child abuse and sexualization of children in schools has become this sort of hot button topic. And oftentimes those discussions lack reliable information and they're heavily used to make a political point. After spending so much time reporting this and digging into all of this, you know, what has been notable about this particular story that you've worked on?
1: So I really hope that this reporting provides Valuable information for people. There's understandably a lot of fear around child sexual abuse, especially, I think, among parents. And I should note that child sexual abuse in schools is very rare. But I hope that it is helpful for people to be able to see what some of the patterns of. Grooming and sexual abuse actually look like so that they don't miss the warning signs that so many of these lawsuits allege that adults missed. And when I spoke with a lot of the survivors of child sexual assault who are filing these lawsuits, they tell me that they're really grateful to be able to share their story. Many times they tell me that they decided to come forward because they had read the story of someone else coming forward. And so I hope that people who experience child sexual assault are able to, to read this and see that they aren't alone because I think that's really, that's something that survivors tell me is has been really important for them.
0: Mm. Well, Sophia, this is such important work. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. Thanks so much for having me on. Sophia Bolag covers the state capitol for The Chronicle. She just published a series of stories that dig into the wave of local sexual abuse lawsuits, including a list of the 51 Bay Area schools that are facing the lawsuits now and details of each case. There's also an in-depth account of Catherine Roberts' case, which Sophia mentioned earlier, against Pleasanton Unified School District. Find all her coverage online now at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app, this episode was edited by Keith Mankony, with additional support from Laura Wenis and Sarah Feldberg. Thanks for listening.